0: welcome to the sermon cast from king road church it's our desire that god uses this message to bring you closer to him if you'd like to pray with someone speak with one of our pastors or if you're looking for more resources please go to kingroad.ca scroll down on the homepage and fill out the reach out fillable. thanks for joining us enjoy the message As I looked into the text um, yesterday, I, I was reminded uh, of uh, our Canadian economy. One of the biggest concerns uh, of our economy in these days is the inflation rate. So it sits about uh, 4.7% a year, and it's alarming. Uh, I was, uh, you know, as I was looking into this, I was uh, brought back. Uh, to the times when I experienced the highest ever inflation rate in my whole life. And uh, it was in Brazil, Uh, if I am correct, it was in March 1990 and uh, the inflation rate hit 80%. Can you imagine? 80% in a year? Well, it wasn't a year. At that point, it was 80% a month, that was the highest that I remember. And I remember uh, in the bank, you know, just uh, standing there to deposit my, my check because I knew that at the end of the month, you know, like that 80, you know, 80% inflation would tell me that I would only be able to buy 20% of what that money was worth. So you run to the grocery store, you do your grocery shopping, don't buy just for one day, right? So buy whatever you can, because you know that uh, it's gonna be crazy and you're never gonna know even, you know, if that rate is gonna be, uh, you know, getting higher or how they're gonna even control that whole thing. Thanks to God, it's different now in Brazil and the inflation rate is quite controlled, although, the same applies for Brazil, what's uh, you know, what we're going through here in Canada. Uh, yeah, so and then I don't know, you know, why are they putting the mandate on their truckers so that they can hike up, uh, you know, the inflation rate. Well, that's beside a point today, okay? But I was reminded of one text. I was reminded of one text in Luke 14, 28-30, where it says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who you see it begin to, you know, everybody that will see him will mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. At that time, when the inflation was so high, we had just started to build our house. And I just, you know, long story short, I have to tell you, we would not be able to finish that house if you wouldn't have had help, extra help, because it's just impossible to do with whatever, uh, you know, budget you would have uh, set aside for that. All this to introduce the the text and the topic today. In today's passage, we see Jesus explaining to two different disciples that following him, following Jesus, requires for one commitment, and secondly, not just a commitment, but it is a costly commitment. And I don't know if you want to still listen to this sermon today, because that's actually what we're going to say. That's actually what the text is going to tell us. This is actually what um, Matthew recorded in his gospel and told us to consider. So let me read the text, the text uh, of today. It's Matthew 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. It's a very interesting passage. It probably didn't happen, you know, over a long period of time. If you just go back a little bit, you remember the two last sermons. Jesus had healed uh, the leper. Remember, he had touched him. He changed his life. Jesus had healed a servant of the centurion just by saying it at a distance and he was healed after that he came to peter's house and he healed peter's grandmother no yeah exactly mother-in-law actually i was just you know like in my mind thinking here about a little joke Uh, do you know why why um Peter denied Jesus? This is a seminary joke, okay? Because he healed his mother-in-law. You know, Jesus had all these things. Jesus had all done all these things and you know, one thing after another. And after he healed his mother-in-law, just by grabbing her hand, then it says in that text that um, he healed all the diseases, all the illnesses that, uh, that people were brought to him. And he cast out demons. And if you have been involved in that, you will know what it means and how uh, stringful that really is. And in this context here, it says to us, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So probably he wanted to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When we were in Israel a few years ago, we, you know, were at the uh, hillside where the Sermon of the Mount had been preached by Jesus. And in the bottom, there is the, the Sea of Galilee. So he would just, you know, he, he had just so much that he did that he needed his rest from the crowd. So he probably just said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side so that we can uh, have a little bit of rest and, you know, Take ourselves time to prayer and, and, and refresh. So, this is most likely why he asked the disciples to do that. But while they were preparing to go on to the other side, then we read the following: and a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Isn't that interesting? A scribe. A scribe in those days was somebody that really knew, you know, what Scripture, what Bible should say. But interesting enough, if you look into the time that Jesus had spent teaching, the scribes, the ones that knew the law, weren't the ones that really had uh, agreed with Jesus very much. On the contrary, Jesus had told them that they would not You know, see even heaven if they wouldn't change their minds. So, if you look into this text now, I think we are reminded, and you would say, "Oh, wonderful! Isn't this?" I think even the disciples would have said, "This is just amazing!" Now, even those that were against Jesus, they are the ones now that wants to follow him. They want to become a disciple. They want to be part of Jesus' journey. I don't know what the disciples were thinking, you know, is this going to be an intruder now for our small group of people that we have been with Jesus all this time? I don't know. We don't know. The only thing we know is that he was there and he says, I want to be, or I want to become a disciple of yours. And it's interesting that um, in this uh, answer that Jesus is giving him, it's not a straightforward answer that he gives. Um, jesus recognizes that um, he acknowledged him, he even you know like he called him teacher, he rabbi. Jesus uh, acknowledged that uh, probably he was serious in what he was um, asking him to do, but jesus' response to him was interesting in a sense that he said to him, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And if you look into the details, he explains it to him. You know, he makes this comparison to, to the animals that have a place to stay. Now, some interpreters have said, oh, you know, like Jesus was a homeless man, it's not true. You know, you can go in different passages, even Jesus moved from different places where he, he was. But it was a life that was totally different than a normal life of any person at that time. Jesus had moved, for instance, from Nazareth to Capernaum. We read it in Matthew 4, 13. But what Jesus is doing here, he is testing the scribe's commitment. He is testing the scribe's commitment. And I hope that this text today, this passage, will test our commitment as well. So Jesus is not telling him that he cannot follow him. He is not telling him and saying, you know what, I will not allow you to, to follow me. But he is telling him, you are the one that really knows scripture. And I want you to follow me according to what the scripture says. Not just by one kind of interpretation of that scripture Jesus is telling him he says if you really want to follow me it was going to cost you if you really want to follow me it will require a commitment for life it is not just You know, like, okay, today I might be, you know, wanting to do this, tomorrow I might just change my mind. He says, no, following me is something very different, and it requires a big commitment for him. And I don't think that he knew exactly the extent of that commitment, what it would be. But it was a big commitment for his life. He had to evaluate and see, you know, what it really would mean for him. It probably would mean for him that uh, he would miss some of the experiences with his family. We know that Jesus was going from place to place, although he was not a a homeless, but he was going from place to place and was healing. So it was a commitment he would not be able to be with his family all the time. He probably would miss out in his uh, income because if you want to follow Jesus, you would be willing to accept to live by those means. Those offerings that, that, that they got as a team. And so we can think about different kinds of things. And if you look into to our day, like, I think the big question really for me was, so what does it mean for us today to go into a commitment to follow Jesus? For us today, 2,000 years later, we probably will not be asked to go from town to town, as Jesus did in those days. uh, But I think that if we really look into our situation, here in Canada, specifically, we will see that right now we need to start to think about the cost. The cost to follow Jesus. And if you look into the prevailing philosophies of our culture, they are increasingly going against the convictions of Scripture. Calling Jesus Lord is growing more and more unpopular in our days. However, for Christians, Jesus is Lord. And no one else should claim that position, right? He should be our Lord, he is our Lord, and he should stay our Lord. And yet the clash between calling Jesus Lord and the lesser things, I think they are right at the doorstep of our church in general in Canada. And so, we see that Scripture is becoming more and more unpopular, especially here in Canada since Bill C-4 came into law last week. Bill C-4 made conversion therapy illegal, but if you look into the definition of conversion therapy, it's any practice, therapy or service that seeks to repress or change a person's sexuality to heterosexual or a person's gender identity to cisgender which means the gender that a person is born with. It also includes language that says any practices cannot be rooted in the assumption that one sexuality or gender expression is preferred over another. So what do Christians do? What do we do as parents? What do we do as pastors? What do we do as those that proclaim that we are disciples of Jesus? When we read a passage like Romans 1, 18 to 28, where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can we know what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it through them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they exchanged a truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with woman with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done so what do we do Do we ignore this? Do we give up and say the government is Lord? Or do we stand up and say Jesus is Lord? Can we ignore passages like this? How important are they for our lives, for the lives of our children? Is Jesus really Lord over everything, over our sexuality? Or do we instruct our children and our loved ones that Jesus is Lord, even of their sexuality? That Jesus gets to say what is right and what is wrong? Genesis 1.27 would be another passage that many would categorically, I think, disagree with these days. It's a very simple one. So God created men in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Very simple. The most natural concept of any science. And biology. So the culture around us, including the mainstream ideas, I think, in our school system today, are saying that you know, there are about 32 genders that a person can choose from. God's word says there are two and you don't get to choose. We as followers of Jesus need to speak the truth in love, of course, but we need to, we need to speak the truth when the opportunity arrives. And even more important so, We need to live out the truth. As you can see, following Jesus requires a huge commitment, a commitment for life. But we also need to know, and this is the second um, disciple that comes to talk to Jesus, that a commitment to follow Jesus is costly. We read, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So what Jesus is telling this disciple is that if you want to be my disciple, yes, you're going to miss out on many experiences in life for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God and um, we don't know exactly all the details of this uh, incident but we know that basically this man was coming up with an excuse probably his father wasn't even ill or anything like it was just uh, the the way on those days that people would take care of their loved ones their their parents so basically, what he is saying, let me just wait all the way till when my father dies and I have buried him, and then I will consider maybe following you. So, not now. I am totally with you, Jesus, but not now. I have things to take care of in my life first. What's Jesus tell him? It will be too late. He says, let the dead bury their dead. Because by the time you'll be ready to follow me, your life will be over. Paul, in his uh, notes, he had a, a note from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer from the cost of discipleship. And I found it really interesting, uh, you know, me might not agree with everything that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said and did, but uh, here he, he had, had the, uh, the Daniel... He says following... Listen to me... It, you need to gather your thoughts here... To grasp everything... He says... Cheap grace... Is the preaching of forgiveness... Without requiring repentance... Baptism... Without church discipline... Communion... Without confession... Absolution... Without personal confession... Cheap grace... Is grace without discipleship grace without the cross grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of of it a man will go and sell that he has it is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods for it is the kingly rule of Christ For whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life it is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner and above all it's costly because it costs god the life of his son yes we're bought at a price and what has cost god much cannot be cheap for us above all it is grace because god did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life but delivered him Up for us costly grace is the incarnation of God do you want to be a disciple of Jesus are you willing to commit to Jesus so who is a disciple maybe you should have asked this question right from the beginning who is a disciple if you want to be a disciple or even if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, this is the checklist and very easy one. A disciple of Jesus is a committed follower of Jesus, not just someone who is interested, but someone that's totally committed to follow him. And a disciple of Jesus is someone that is willing to count the cost and to pay the price. Jesus, when he was tired, wanting to go to take a rest from the crowd, had a conversation with two people quickly. But I think it changed their whole life. It made them think what it really means to follow Jesus. And I think the text today is graceful in the sense that it gives us the opportunity to think if we really want to commit to Jesus for our whole life. We live in times in which that's not obvious anymore. And we live in times in which we need to count the cost. I can guarantee you it's not going to get better. Because the Bible tells me so. But I can guarantee you that Jesus will be with you all the way to the end of the the end of the ages, and I can guarantee you that following Jesus is rewarding, not just for this life here on earth, but for eternity. But we need to change our value system. If we want to equally live in this, you know, like in the mindset of this world, we will never be able to do it. It has a cost. Jesus, for Jesus himself, that costs his life. He had to go to the cross. Why should that be different for us? So the question today is, are you willing to count the cost and to commit? Father, as we look into your word and this experience that Jesus had with these two inquirers, of followers of you, Father, we recognize that sometimes we take our Christian life too late. We don't really measure the cost. And sometimes, Father, we know that the enemy, he will just um, try to deceive us to let us somehow believe that Following you you is is easy when we know it's not. Father, we thank you for this reminder today. And I pray that each one of us this morning, we would look into our hearts, into our lives, into our priorities, and even look into the future, what the future will bring us and what it will cost us, and that we would stand firm convicted in the truth, in Jesus himself. Thank you, Jesus, for being committed to save us and to die for us. Thank you.